Hey everybody, this is Greg, and before we get started with the podcast, I want to give a quick shout out to two of our sponsors. The first is a company that is very close to my heart, Dominar Studios. They're the makers of the Cloud Agent Suite. Their flagship product, Cloud CMA, is used by over 500,000 real estate professionals all across the country, and their customers have published over 15 million Cloud CMA reports. Also check out CloudMLX, their front-end-of-choice solution, which won Inman News' Most Innovative Technology Award and has crossed over 200,000 MLS members under site license. You can find out more at cloudagentsuite.com. Also, I'm excited to announce the Notorious VIP, a premium subscription service from Rob Hahn, also known as the Notorious ROB. Membership gives you subscriber-only content, both written and recorded, that is unavailable anywhere else. The difference between the Notorious ROB blog and the Notorious VIP is that VIP focuses on research and analysis, while the ROB blog focuses on commentary and op-ed. Notorious VIP is for those in organized real estate that want to go a few layers deeper. Please visit Notorious-ROB.com to find out more. I'll put a link to both sponsors in the show notes. Also, if any of our listeners are interested in sponsoring the Industry Relations Podcast, please drop me a line at gregrobertson at gmail.com. Hey, thanks for listening. And now, on with the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of Industry Relations with Rob and Greg. This is your co-host, Rob Hahn, the notorious ROB. And on the other line, I should have uh, Mr. Robertson. Hello, Greg. Hello, Rob. <laughs> we're going to get there. We're going to get there. And I know we don't have a whole lot of time, so we're going to skip all of the bantering, especially in these times. And uh, we have a very, very special guest with us for, uh, for this podcast, which Greg and I both agree is potentially one of the more important ones that, uh, that I think we've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Mr. Rob Chrisman. He's the owner of Chrisman Consulting or Chrisman Company. I think we're better off just having him introduce himself. Rob, are you there? I am here. Can you hear me okay? We can hear you great. Uh, thanks for Good. joining us. And uh, Well, uh, you're, you're welcome. Yeah, about, about myself, I've been in the business uh, since 1985. I should say the mortgage banking business since 1985, primarily in capital markets, mm-hmm. secondary marketing, selling loans, hedging loan pipelines, which we can talk a little bit about. Yep. And then... Uh, Left the day-to-day working world in 2008 after my mom passed away, and I wanted to see my more of my kids and mm-hmm. spend some time with my dad and deal with that and so forth. So I, I left the working world, but I continued to send a daily commentary out to the industry, which back then was uh, I'd only sent it out to a couple hundred people. And the over the intervening 12 or so years, the subscription rate has gone up dramatically, mm-hmm. and that's what most people know me for. All right. So I think it's very, very safe to say that uh, you really do understand the mortgage market from, you know, sort of the retail level all the way up through, to your point, the capital markets, uh, what happens after the mortgage is originated, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's like, a, uh, it's like a, a manufacturing process. Right. It's good to know something about every step of the way. Right. So I think what we want to start with, Rob, is as, as we sort of talked about in the pre-show, you know, Greg and I are on the sort of brokerage MLS technology side of the real estate industry. And what's interesting about this from our standpoint is, you know, a, a lot of our listeners, a lot of our friends, you know, they work with mortgage and financing like every single day. And yet we felt like not a whole lot of them, certainly not us, you know, we don't necessarily understand exactly how this all works, the entire manufacturing process. And the genesis of this is that I've been seeing a number of articles that have been forwarded to me, a lot of conversations, you know, it's just on phone and email, that there's potentially a tsunami headed towards mortgage, which will obviously impact the entire housing industry. And we just really wanted to kind of get your take on that. So I thought the place to begin maybe is just maybe like a five-minute, two-minute, you know, explanation of the mortgage process, the mortgage market. You know, okay, and just just so Rob knows. The other Rob, not you, Rob, <laughs> is the way this thing works is he's the conspiracy nut and I'm the voice of reason. That's right. Just so you get a grasp of, of how this normally works out, okay? That's right. Tinfoil hat but, and me just bringing him back from right. the edge. Just bringing him back <laughs> from the edge. <laughs> it's 
good to know. I've heard I've heard stories of those jets flying way overhead with the contrails, so, uh, <laughs> odd things. So, sure, I, I can explain a little bit about it, and I think it's important for your listeners to understand that it is something that's being manufactured. The mortgage is a product. It's a if you think about a, and I'll use the automobile analogy because a, an assembly line is, is pretty much how the mortgage industry works. So if you think about a car, you have a manufacturing plant and you bring in raw ingredients or raw materials such as, you know, the windows might be manufactured in one place and the tires might be manufactured in a different place and the, you know, the door panels and the electrical wiring and the dashboard and the roof and the engine and the transmission, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these things are brought together by a car manufacturer. And as the car starts down the assembly line, you know, start with the axles and the transmission, however it works, you know, however it's manufactured. Mm-hmm. And you produce a car. And however long a car takes to manufacture, might be a couple hours, might be a couple weeks, I don't know. A mortgage takes, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks. If you think about a mortgage, the ingredients come together, whether it is, you know, the borrower comes in and then you run the credit report, take the application, take a look at interest rates. They, they figure into things. The loan is underwritten. You look at the property, the collateral, make sure that's sound. And the loan, you know, goes through an assembly line and then docs are drawn and the loan, uh, the house goes to title and uh, money passes through an escrow and, and out pops a mortgage. And we're talking about mortgages here. We're not talking about cash financing, right. which is, would be a whole different topic. But out comes a mortgage or a first, uh, you know, a, a, you know, first lien. And then the question is, then what? Well, right. going back to the car analogy, you have a, a market for that car. You have buyers for that car. And when that car comes out and you have a potential buyer, a couple comes to the car lot and looks at the, the brand spanking new Chevrolet or whatever it is. They want to know that when they get in the car and turn the key, the engine turns on. And they want to know when they put their foot on the brake, the brakes go on. And they want to know when the, you know, the gas works and they open, they can unscrew the gas cap. And it is a functioning car. It is a quality product that this couple wants to buy. The same thing happens with mortgages. When, when a mortgage is, is minted uh, or produced, the buyer of that, and we'll talk about buyers here in a little bit, but you want, mm-hmm. the buyer wants to make sure that what they're buying is a good quality mortgage, that the appraisal was done correctly, that the borrower has the ability to make payments, that the documentation is correct, that the originator was licensed. So all these things that go into making a mortgage the buyer wants to make sure that it's all that it's, it's sound, mm-hmm. and that they, uh, you know, they won't be the the subject of a class action lawsuit down the road because the above the buyer or the borrower didn't really have the ability to repay and had their arm twisted by the loan officer. You know, you want to avoid those things, and so the loan is sold into the secondary market. Which, if you think about a mortgage, and I imagine a lot of your listeners have mortgages. Mm-hmm. Every month during normal times, they make their monthly payments and they maybe they make their monthly payments to Wells Fargo or Citibank or Chase or B of A or, you know, somebody, ABC Mortgage Company, whatever it is. Right. And so off their payment goes every month and it's maybe it's automatically taken out of their bank account, whatever it goes off to the servicer of the mortgage. And the servicer of the mortgage may or may not be the actual owner of the mortgage. In all likelihood, they aren't. In all likelihood, the vast majority of mortgages, well, I should say most mortgages are packaged into mortgage-backed securities and sold in the secondary markets. And who are they sold to? Well, they might be sold to a money manager in Sydney, Australia. They might be sold to the Kentucky State Troopers Retirement Plan. They might be sold to Allstate Insurance. They might be sold to whoever. Mm-hmm. And rather than that money manager in Sydney, Australia, buying 
the Jones loan and the Smith loan and the Hernandez loan and the Nguyen loan, they will buy a security, you know, $10 million worth of Ginnie Mae securities or $50 million of Fannie Mae securities or $100 million of non-QM securities, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. It's easier for that money manager in Sydney or the, you know, state trooper association to buy a piece of a mortgage-backed security. And that's where most mortgages, so although you may send your servicing, your monthly payment into ABC Mortgage, in all likelihood, they are turning around and forwarding that on to the end investor. And so, like I said, when I started, it's important for listeners to think about the mortgage as, as a product, as a good that is manufactured and sold to a sold to a buyer and that buyer wants to own that income stream wants to own that monthly you know those monthly payments so that's okay. that's kind of mortgage lending in a nutshell okay so with that background so look, can, I, can I just can I just so you know the the dumber one of here in the room just so I can can I walk through this so it make sure that I understand what's going on here real quick Sure. Yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah. Okay, so so to me, like, there's like to me, there's three pieces here in a sense. Maybe there's more, but there's the mortgage originator, and he's the guy that talks to somebody about getting a mortgage. And once it's closed, that loan is handled by the servicer, which you say could be like a Wells Fargo, a Chase, or whatever. But in more likelihood, that servicer, he just wants to service the mortgage. He doesn't really want to own that mortgage, right? So he sells that to an investor, and that investor could be like you say a whole different display of people it could be a, a you know a a retirement fund it could be just individual investors it could be all that kind of stuff right to just but the motivation of the servicer is that i guess he gets a a fee of some type for handling taking the payments dealing one on one with the person that has the mortgage and, and and that's his motivation the servicer gets some sort of commission or some sort of fee for being the servicer of that mortgage, but in, in fact, somebody else may may own it, right? Yeah, if you if you talk about the servicer, the the servicing industry, which is where the listeners, the real estate agents, or whoever helps a buyer buy a home, they they typically will point to a particular lender out there and say, hey, you know, here's here's uh, Francine, uh, she's a loan officer with. ABC mortgage and Francine will take good care of you and Francine helps with the loan. And then when the loan funds, the borrower, or in this case, you know, the client of the, the real estate agent will receive a letter. Okay. You know, Rob, congratulations on funding your loan. Uh, congratulations on buying your home. From here on out, send your monthly payment to, let's say, Wells Fargo. Mm-hmm. And so I think, okay, well, good. I, I, now I know where to send my monthly payment. So Wells Fargo every month receives a check from me for, our, let's say, $1,000. Wells Fargo gets a check from me. Okay, loan number, whatever, check. Got the $1,000 in, in April. They, in turn, will send, let's say, $990 of it off to... Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or the money manager in Sydney, Australia, mm-hmm. and keep $10, say, of, of my $1,000. So 990 of it goes to the investor, they keep $10 of it. And then the question is, well, is 10 bucks enough? Well, it is when you're servicing, you know, <laughs> hundreds of billions of dollars right. worth of mortgages. Right. And it can be very lucrative or it can be very... Uh, expensive, depending on the servicing operation. But that's right. how that's how servicing works. I send my check to Wells Fargo. They get a thousand bucks. They keep ten and send nine hundred and ninety of it on to the investor of whoever bought the mortgage. Right. Got it. Okay. So with that background, can you tell us what's going on in the capital markets and mortgage side right now because of this uh, coronavirus situation? Sure. The Coronavirus uh, obviously is a, is a tragic event, mm-hmm. not only for the families involved with the victims, but also for everyone around the world. And the fear out there is not only with human loss of life, but 
with so much of the economy shut down, the question is, can Rob make his monthly mortgage payment? Right. So let's say, let's say I bought a house in, in September or whenever, and I'm, you know, everything's been fine. I've been sending my thousand dollar payments into Wells Fargo every month and everything's fine. And it's good because, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a short order cook at the local diner and my wife uh, works at, uh, you know, Marriott, uh, you know, mm-hmm. she runs catering there or something and uh, we're making our payments. And then all of a sudden this hits, well, I'm out of a job and she's out of a job. Right. And suddenly we have no income. Then the question is, can I continue to send my thousand dollar monthly payments to Wells Fargo? And that is, that's a huge concern out there because it's not only me and my wife being able to send our payments in, but it's basically millions of borrowers around the nation who are dependent upon the hospitality business, dependent upon, you know, house cleaning, gardening, services that are now temporarily shut down. You know, what kind of impact will this shutdown have on millions of borrowers finances and can they continue to make their payments right so that is the overriding concern right now it's a it's a credit risk concern not only for people who have been making their payments but also for potential new borrowers who are out looking at homes or want to look at homes or somehow virtually look at homes you know maybe their jobs have been impacted by the shutdown maybe they have not but it's a tough situation for lenders to be in if somebody has not been impacted by the shutdown. You know, this makes it, the whole environment week. makes the lenders very nervous, right? Because they don't know what's. They may be have a job now, but it's still it's an X factor whether they're going to have another job. The job is going to continue, right? Just correct. To, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to get a little bit specific because of this. Uh, what what prompted all of this for me is that I've been reading that there is a crisis with the servicers. And this is where I started to really kind of get beyond my rudimentary understanding of, of uh, the mortgage and MBS. Can you tell us kind of what's going on with the service? Is there something going on with servicers right now because of coronavirus and more specifically some of the government action that's been taken in response sure. to that? Sure. So let's go back to uh, Wells Fargo. Mm-hmm. I hate to pick on Wells Fargo. I think it's it's a fine company, and they've they've corrected a lot of things. Well, go ahead, pick on them. You can pick on them. <laughs> go ahead. No, let's let's pick on let's pick on uh, well, all right, Wells Fargo. And I'm not even picking on Wells Fargo. So every month, you know, they receive this check for a thousand dollars, and they send 990 of it on. They keep ten dollars. Well, the investor in the mortgage-backed security, the money manager in Sydney, Australia. Mm-hmm. He's expecting, you know, a lot of money every month. My $990, everybody else's $990, it really adds up in a hurry. And that's the return that they are getting for buying this mortgage-backed security. It's just like a bond. You know, right. you buy a bond from the U.S. government and every, or a muni- local municipal bond. And, you know, every month they make payments or every, you know, six months or whatever it is. Well, when this money manager in Sydney, Australia is buying a mortgage-backed security, the question comes up whether or not they will receive their 990 bucks if the borrower doesn't make their payment. Put another way, if I don't send my check to Wells Fargo, does Wells Fargo still owe the money manager in Sydney 990 bucks? Mm-hmm. The question comes up because with FHA and VA loans, with government-backed loans like those, Wells Fargo does indeed owe that money to that money manager in Sydney, whether or not Wells Fargo collects it. Mm -hmm. And the same with Quicken and Chase and Freedom, every other servicer that's out there with FHA loans, they owe the investor that money, whether or not they receive it. When they're receiving it, everything's fine. When they don't, that's when the worry happens because that money manager in Sydney, Australia, or the state troopers in Kentucky, they bought that mortgage-backed security with that government guarantee, and that government guarantee says, rain or shine, you are going to get 
your monthly payment, you're going to get your $990 from the servicer. Okay. And that's, and that's the big concern out there because going back to me, I'm, you know, the shorter cook and my wife works for Marriott and right now we're on unemployment, just filed an unemployment claim and we don't have a thousand bucks to send to Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo still owes that money to that money manager in, in, in Australia. Money, Wells Fargo has to come up with the money. They've got to come up with the money, which for the banks is not, I mean, it's a big deal when you multiply it's just not one FHA loan. It's tens of thousands of FHA loans out there. With Wells Fargo, you know, they have a certain amount of financial strength, as does Chase, as does B of A, as does U.S. Bank, as does credit unions, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. If you are a independent mortgage bank that's not tied to a bank, if you are a lender like Quicken, Freedom, Loan Depot, you know, United Wholesale, they don't have millions or billions of assets sitting in the bank waiting to send to investors in their mortgage-backed securities for Ginnie Mae loans, Ginnie Mae securities backed by FHA and VA loans. They don't have that capital. They don't have that much money. And so the big concern out there right now is with the independent mortgage banks that are not tied to banks, do they have the capital to make the payment to the investors because when the investors bought the security, that was the guarantee of the U S government that they would receive the principal and interest every month. So Rob, I mean, obvious question is when does the U S government, the GSC guarantees then kick in? Well, immediately month, month number one, the current topic throughout the industry is talking about forbearance. The government, right. Uh, has come come out and talked about Fannie Mae loans and Freddie Mac loans and FHA VA loans that there will be the government will allow the borrowers out there because of the hardship not to make their payments. Right. And the servicers are saying, well, wait a minute, you're telling the borrowers that they don't have to make their, their payments, straight. but yet us at Quicken Loans owes that money manager in, in Australia, you know, 990 bucks times, you know, a million or mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. How, how are we going to do this? How are we going to figure this out? U.S. government, you can't do that to us. You you need to figure this out. And so what Ginny May did recently is come out and say, all right, we will back the servicers, the non-bank servicers, or anybody who really is in financial straits among our servicers who can't make those payments to the investors of our Ginny May securities. Okay. So that has helped. But what does that mean, uh, though? The, like, when they, well, when Ginny, yeah. The, Sorry, the devil ahead. is in the details. Everybody at this point is waiting for Ginny May to come out with the details. There, there are a huge number of questions out there that remain unanswered uh, with regard to the, the program and how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And really, the, the magnitude of what we're dealing with here has never been seen before. You know, it's a common question. Oh, you know, was this just like 2008? No, this is actually much worse and much more dramatic than 2008. We and that's have, because that's because the the unemployment rate has gone up so quickly, and 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 the size of the unemployment numbers is that why? Yeah, it's that's that's another result of what's going on. We have, you know, we've got the election. We we have this political strife that's going on. We have the coronavirus causing health problems around the world. And then we've got basically the economies of all of, all around the world are being shut down. And as a result of that, yes, the unemployment rate has just jumped up dramatically, but B, the uh, municipalities out there, the mortgage-backed security markets, the commercial paper markets, they've all been impacted because as a quick aside, uh, you, you might have listeners who have helped somebody buy a small strip mall uh, in the downtown area and in the little strip mall maybe there's a uh, you know, maybe there's a 7-Eleven, maybe there's a dry cleaner maybe yeah. there's a little grocery store whatever and now many of those companies they aren't even open, you know, a sewing machine shop, they aren't even open and right. so the person who bought that little strip mall now to make their monthly payments they don't have the money coming in from their tenants and so this economic it goes on and on uh, and on. It just goes you're exactly. It goes on and on and on. 
And the uh, obviously the unemployment is is a huge part of that. But versus 2008, I mean, as you might recall, 2008 took months and months and months to to unfold and gradually just disintegrate and so forth. And the industries had time to react, and we didn't see the unemployment up like it has here. And all, this has all happened within the last month. I mean, right. it's amazing the speed weeks. and the, and the yeah. yeah weeks, the speed and and the, just the how ferocious it is. It's impacting right. so many industries, and a lot of industries are like I shouldn't say industries. A lot of oh, man. Uh, institutions like the Federal Reserve are, are you know it's almost shoot first, ask questions later. We've we've got to fix this right away, and then deal with the details later down the road, but we need to be able to assure the marketplace that we are going to stand behind, you know, the commercial paper market or the mortgage-backed security market or Mm -hmm. the people who are unemployed. We are a backstop for them. And that's what, that's kind of what's been going on here recently is just the government and the Federal Reserve stepping in and saying, you know, we're, we're here to help. Right. So I'm going to go back to this because like I said, I mean, this is where I started getting lost in the details. So right now, as you mentioned, Rob, I mean, they haven't, the government hasn't really come out with the full details, but I guess what I'm wondering is if it's month one. So let's take the example of Wells Fargo. I'm Wells Fargo. I'm the servicer on a bunch of loans. This goes down. The government comes out and says, you know what? Those borrowers, we're going to give them, grant them forbearance. They do not have to pay their mortgage for however long, you know, nine months, a year, however long it ends up being. Does Wells Fargo at that point have simply say, you know what, not my problem. Hey, GSEs, you guys guarantee this, these mortgages. It's your problem. You pay the investors. Or is it where Wells Fargo has to spend, you know, spend a certain amount of money before the guarantees kick in? Like, when does that happen? That's exactly what happens. You'll, mm. you'll notice. You'll you notice mean the second the, scenario where Wells Fargo yeah, has to lose a bunch scenario. of money first? Okay. Okay. Well, they, they, I wouldn't use the term lose quite yet. Okay. I would say they have to advance the money. Okay. But you will notice that when you look at the, the stock prices of Chase and Citi and Wells Fargo and other financial institutions, they really have tumbled. Mm-hmm. And part of that is due to the uncertainty that's out there and how long will they have to come up with funds before the government starts reimbursing them. And that's one of the questions that has yet to be answered. I see. So the, so the mechanism is actually the servicer still has to forward the money to the investor, and then the government will reimburse them. Yes. But, okay. but that's fine. Yeah, but point, you said before, that's okay if you're a bank, right? But if you're Quicken Loans or these other, and, and you know, from what I'm reading, it's like the, the guys like Quicken Loans, these guys that aren't banks, they've been killing it. Right, so a lot of the new stuff is 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 on these non-bank type of uh, you know uh, servicers, right? That's correct. Yeah, it's a it's a huge problem for, as I said, you know the United Wholesales, Quicken's, Freedoms, Loan Depots, the non-bank servicers that are out there. They've been doing very well volume-wise. They've offered some very good pricing in the last year or so. I mean, they've they've really taken a lot of market share. From the banks, uh, politicians have raised red flag, or I should say, waved red flags. Regulators have waved red flags in terms of the the non banks taking such a, a yeah. lion's share of lending from the banks because they don't have as much capital to withstand a, a shock like we're seeing now. So there, so there's, there's a lot of concern are, out there. They're doing those kind of what they call what is it? Uh... The CLOs, right? These companies are bringing on a lot of debt in order to to service these loans, right? When when you talk about raising debt, I automatically think, oh, they're selling bonds in the second year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what I'm trying to think is is that unless they can, they need a certain amount of assets or a certain a certain flow of assets to go through there to kind of to to bring on more mortgages, right? If they're not able to, and I don't know how they get, I guess it's more of a flow thing than it is acquiring debt. It's more, they need the, the pipeline to keep moving. And if the pipeline exactly. stops, then, then they have That's the problem. Exactly. Right. That's but, exactly what happens. Going, going back, going back to the car, going back to a car, the car manufacturer's analogy, 
you're a car manufacturer, you have $50,000 in the bank and you spend all $50,000 on building your first car and you sell it for $55,000, then you put 50,000 back in the bank and you've got $5,000 of profit. And then you build another car and you make another 5,000, you make another car 10, you know, I mean, that's how manufacturers work. They, they make a little bit of right. off of everything that they produce. Same thing with mortgages, same thing that United Wholesale and Quicken do, the volume, they might not make as much per loan, but they, but they will make a, a $200,000 loan and they will pool it and sell it. And let's say they make a thousand bucks off the $200,000 loan and they take that $200,000 and they pay off their warehouse bank because they had to borrow that money to make that $200,000 loan. So they pay off the warehouse bank, they give them $200,000, and then they've got $1,000 of their own capital that they bank away. And it's a, it's a numbers game. You know, the more you do, uh, the more capital you raise and the larger your warehouse banks can be and the more financial strength you have in the marketplace and, and you can do some different things as you as you do more volume. But in general, as I said, independent mortgage banks are more thinly capitalized than uh, depository banks. So, Rob, let me ask you, with some of the numbers I saw from a, a report that I saw, and again, I'm going to assume that some of the audience is pretty sophisticated about this. Unless I'm wrong, servicers pay to acquire the servicing rights to these loans, right? Yes. And what I'm reading is they typically pay about 1% or 100 basis points of the, of the total loan amount, and they pay that up front. Right. Okay. And then what I'm reading is typically the servicer can expect to make about 30 basis points or a third of that 1% they paid out every year. So break even is you know roughly three years and a quarter or something along those lines. Now, the piece where I started like getting lost was apparently these servicing companies go out and and lever up, meaning they borrow money from you know whether it's banks or whoever they borrow money to pay that one percent purchase price because that you know, helps them with their profitability. And what I'm reading about is because of the government forbearance action that a lot of these guys are running into margin calls. Can you tell that's me, like, explain what that's all about? Because that's where I started getting, what, huh, what? Well, there's, there's two kinds of margin calls that are going on right now in, in the industry. Well, I'll take, the, I'll take the first one. Can you explain first what a margin call is for people? Sure. Or the easiest way to think of that is, let's say, I sell a security to Morgan Stanley and that security is going to Morgan Stanley. You can sell securities. I mean, the mortgage backed security market, you might tell Morgan Stanley, Hey, we want to sell you this mortgage backed security. And you know what? We'll deliver it to you in May or June or July or April or whenever you tell Morgan Stanley, you're going to, you're going to send them, you sold them a security. You're going to deliver it to them out in May. Okay, all well and good. Morgan Stanley is expecting the security to be delivered by you out in May. And let's say you sold it to them at a price of, I don't know, pick a price, par, 100 cents on the dollar. Time goes on and the bond market shoots way up in price. The Federal Reserve comes in, they're buying mortgage-backed securities. REITs are buying mortgage-backed securities. Things are good. Prices go way up, and suddenly something you sold Morgan Stanley at par at a price of 100 is now worth 106, 106. So there's a difference there of six points. So Morgan Stanley looks at that and says, huh, okay, if we were to liquidate this position today, if they were to buy it back, if they weren't going to deliver the loans, if they wanted to get out of this position, they would buy it back from us at 106 and they would owe us six points. Mm -hmm. Well, six points is a lot when you're dealing with hundreds of millions or billions of dollars of securities that are outstanding. And that's exactly what happened on the security side is that mortgage-backed securities were sold out in April and May and June. The prices rally. 
suddenly these mortgage banks and banks or whoever the lenders are who were going to deliver loans and create these securities and deliver them to Morgan Stanley or Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, or whatever the secure broker, whatever the security dealer is or the broker dealer is, suddenly they're, they're six or eight points underwater. Mm-hmm. And the broker dealers in their contracts say, okay, when a position is losing money to at a certain level to us, we have the ability to call in margin. We're not going to ask for all sixty thousand dollars, but we want thirty or forty thousand of it now, mm-hmm. because although we really like doing business with you, Mister Lender, this is still a big chunk of change. So mm-hmm. we want part of it now, and then you know we'll see what happens. You know, out in April or May or whenever you deliver the security, we'll settle up there. But we want part of it now, mm-hmm. and so that's what a margin. That's what's going on on the security side in terms of margin calls that lenders have to come up with chunks of change based on their security positions that they have with the broker dealers. The same thing is written into the contracts for anybody who's borrowing money to service loans. And let's, mm -hmm. let's use another analogy here, going back to the car manufacturer who uh, let's say they didn't have $50,000. Let's say, you had to borrow the $50,000 to make that first car. And you start making the car. And it's going to take a couple of weeks to go down the assembly line. And you borrowed the 50000 to buy the windshield and the tires and the transmission, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, the, the car market just tanks. Mm-hmm. It goes to hell in a handbasket. And new cars now are only selling for – new cars like the one you're about to produce are only selling for $30,000. Well, the bank – is going to, bank's very aware of that. Mm-hmm. And it's going to say, hey, you borrowed $50,000 from us to make this car. And now you're going to sell that car and you're only going to sell it for $30,000. And so where's, where are you going to get that extra $20,000 from? And I'm going to, I don't know what I'll do, but mm-hmm. <laughs> right. uh, I'll, I'll, you know, there's something. And that's what's happening on the servicing side. The servicers right. have borrowed money to put servicing on their books. Mm-hmm. It's all well and good when everything's going well. Right. But now, if the value of servicing is going down because the investors in the mortgage-backed securities, the, the money manager in, in, in Sydney uh, is going to get his money regardless of whether the servicer receives it or not from the borrower, well, then the value of servicing goes down because companies and individuals are saying, oh my gosh, you know, they're going to have to come up with this money. Sure, the government will pay them off eventually, mm-hmm. but now they're going to have to come up with it because that guy wants his money because he invested in government-backed security. So the servicers out there are saying, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And when they borrow money because they think it's going to be worth a point and now it has almost no value, then the, the companies that they borrowed money to to Buy increase that, their right. servicing portfolio, come back to them and say, hey. <laughs> right. Margin call. It, yeah, margin call. It was mm-hmm. worth a point back then, but now it's worth next to nothing. And uh, we don't know where you're going to get the money from, so we'd like part of ours now. Right. And that's what's going on. That, so what's that, the, It's a yeah, long-winded explanation. What is the scale of this right now, Rob? I mean, what is the value? I mean, how much are these, these servicers coming up with in order to make these margin calls? Well, that's a good question. I haven't seen, I've seen a lot of estimates, but I mean, it, it is a, a tremendous amount of money. If you figure, there's about $15 trillion of, of mortgages outstanding mm-hmm. and not everybody is not going to make their payments. Right. It, we're very fortunate that a lot of people are going to continue to make their payments. Nobody at this point knows who's not. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to extrapolate using the unemployment data that we talked about earlier, sure. trying to figure out, you know, all these people who are now unemployed, how many have reserves, how many don't have mortgages, how many have mortgages. I mean, it's a very, it's a very complicated picture, but it's, it's a tremendous amount of money. So 15 trillion. So 1% would be 150 billion, right? Right. And then they levered some portion of that 150 billion. So I don't, I don't know. Let's just, I mean, are we, we're talking we're talking tens of billions of dollars, basically, that services are looking to have to pay for margin calls. Correct. 
And a lot of those services, to your point, are not JP Morgan Chase. They're not Wells Fargo. They don't have tens of billions of dollars. So what do they do? Well, a lot of them are waiting on Ginny May to announce <laughs> the details <laughs> of Ginny May's program. Right. I mean, seriously, it is a you know the industry is, is taking a breath right now. Yeah. And and waiting. And uh, I know that uh, various mortgage groups are definitely making their voices heard for regulators and the Federal Reserve and the U.S. government to say, right. hey, you know, you don't want you don't want to drive. Quicken and Freedom and United Wholesale and Loan Depot. You don't want to drive us out of business, right? Because we actually perform a, a good function for for buyers of homes and for real estate agents, and borrowers, and so forth, so forth. Right. So let's let's figure this out. Yeah, it just it's so. it's like on the surface yeah. it seems great. Okay, they're they're government backed. If they don't pay, if you don't have a person that pays, we're going to pay, so you're covered, right? But then if the government steps in and helps them. They're basically lowering the value of what service the services are providing, and therefore, but I, you know, it feels like in shrinking yeah. you know, the value of that, they go out of business, right? And, and also, a lot of their loans and all that is geared to what the value of their servicing actually is, right? So this is just this domino effect. Some guy, like, like I said to you before, Rob, right. you know, some guy ate a bat in China and now everybody's just screwed, right? I mean, it just like goes on and on, <laughs> so, and, on right. and on, man. Let me ask you one, one other question because this is the other part that I didn't quite understand because basically this, this paper that I read, it's talking about number one to forbearance, which is obviously the, the real big, mm-hmm. enormous problem for the, uh, for the servicing community. Since they owe the money to the investors no matter what, Sure, there's government backed, but if, if it's reimbursement, you know, like they, they just don't have enough cash to keep paying the investors and wait for the reimbursement. Plus, all those rules are not set in place. We have no idea. So there's that piece. The other piece that I read, Rob, was that the Federal Reserve has been buying enormous amounts of MBS, mortgage-backed securities in the market, right, in order to keep the uh, liquidity up. And that is apparently causing a problem for lenders to hedge their positions could you explain what that's all about? Sure. I could have gotten into that when I was talking about the margin calls earlier. Right. So if going back to the example where, you know, a month or two ago, a lender sold Morgan Stanley, a bond, $10 million worth of mortgages mm-hmm. in, a, in a security and said to Morgan Stanley, hey, we're going to give you $10 million worth of mortgages. We're going to deliver it in May. It's going to be a nice, tidy security. Morgan Stanley says, great, we'll pay you par. In ordinary circumstances, that's all well and good. Mm-hmm. However, when the Federal Reserve comes in after that and says, you know what, in order to lend stability to the marketplace, we are going to start buying mortgage-backed securities, what happens then is the price goes way up. Right. It's almost as if you know somebody's trying to corner the market on Ferraris. Mm-hmm. And they have unlimited amounts of cash, and they just start buying Ferraris, and uh, you know the, the the price goes the price goes way up. The same with mortgage-backed securities; the price right. went way up, and it exas- exacerbated the issue because instead of that mortgage-backed security kind of going up and down around par, you know, ninety-nine and a half, mm-hmm. or par and a half, or one hundred one, or whatever, you know, kind of waffling around. When the Federal Reserve came in and said, we're going to stabilize the market, we are going to provide a market for all these mortgage-backed securities, everybody said, holy smokes, they're going to want to buy 20 or $30 billion a day, mm-hmm. a day, a day of mortgage-backed securities, plain and simple, supply and demand. You've got, you've got a home on the lake, and suddenly somebody comes in and starts buying all the lakefront property. Suddenly, your house goes way up in value and you run out of property for them to buy, well, mortgage-backed securities, I mean, we're only producing so many mortgage-backed securities every day. And if the Fed is coming in and and being the only game in town and buying that much, the price goes way up. And suddenly these lenders who sold this security to Morgan Stanley at par, suddenly they're looking at 106, whereas if the Fed hadn't quite come in with such fanfare in an effort to lend stability to the marketplace, you know, maybe the the price would be 101 or 102, and there'd be a slight difference, and Morgan Stanley wouldn't be 
making margin calls mm-hmm. because suddenly their positions are only a point or two underwater. I mean, now they're six points underwater. So Morgan Stanley says we want part of that now. But that's what's happened. The Fed, I think, uh, just my opinion, but I think it's it's been generally greeted as such. The Fed came in and was too exuberant in their wanting to buy mortgage-backed securities, just like somebody was too exuberant and wanting to buy up all the lakefront property in a hurry, and the price just goes up and up and up. Uh, and suddenly you've got that last holdout. Uh, they can pretty much command whatever price they want. Well, with mortgage-backed securities, it's not quite that bad, but it's it's similar to that. And it's so the Fed has scaled their purchases back a little bit. I think they realized we don't have to create this much demand for these, and we can tone things down a little bit and let the market settle down a little bit. So I guess one of the questions I have is, okay, so that's the technical, like what's going on in the financial capital markets. At the end of the day, what does this mean for real estate brokers and agents and buyers out there? What does it mean for the country, right? I mean, in a sense, I mean, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, Rob, but there's a point, and I believe it was like seven or eight when I went to an Inman, a, you know, the Inman Connect mm-hmm. conference, and they had Noriel Rubini speak, yeah. and like, <laughs> you know, I left that breakout session like wanting to hug my kids. I'm not sure, <laughs> right? Getting kind of the same feeling. Unless Rob here can tell me the the, the bright spot here. How do we get out of this? Or what do I buy right now? That's <laughs> Well, hey, Greg, can we deal with how we get out of this? Because what I'm trying to understand is we have already heard that non-QM loans are just gone. Like it's, it's almost non-existent. We've heard that jumbo market is basically disappeared. So first of all, like with those two things and the two things being number one, forbearance and number two, Fed activity in the uh, MBS market, we're hearing there's all sorts of just bizarre disruptions happening. Like can you give us an idea as to what is going on just on the ground? Yeah, the uh, to your point, yes, the, the non-QM at this point market has, has disappeared. Uh, Jumbo market has, has scaled way back. The typical investors, uh, you know, I mentioned the, the money manager mm-hmm. in, in Cape to keep talking about the money manager in Sydney, Australia, but that money manager will only buy agency back, you know, Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, right. paper. Back by guaranteed. those kind of loans, right? The government guaranteed, right? right. That that money manager is not going to buy jumbo securities. That money manager is not going to buy non-QM because they they like the U.S. government guarantee and they don't want to deal with non-QM securities because they're right. made up of all kinds of different underwriting criteria and all kinds of different lenders and so forth. So the non-agency mortgage market at this point is on life support. Mm-hmm. There are still banks who will buy or who are interested in originating jumbo loans. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, the barest of, of non-QM investors out there or, or companies that want to put non-QM loans in their portfolio. So that's, that's kind of just barely ebbing along. Barely breathing. Now, barely breathing. With those, Rob, are there services that are still purchasing servicing rights on those? Or are they saying, no, no, we're, we're done? Meaning whoever the lender is that made the loan, they have to keep it on their books and they have to service themselves. So like what's going on with that? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's kind of hunkered down at this point. You know, companies that are servicing non-QM loans, it's not that they're bad loans. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a common misconception. You know, non-QM loans are not subprime loans. They're, they're, there's a lot of good borrowers there, self-employed borrowers, right. borrowers with debt-to-income ratio that might be you know, relatively high, whatever it is. So they aren't bad loans. And it'll be interesting to see how those perform in this kind of economic shock that we've seen relative to Fannie Mae's and Freddie Mac loans mm-hmm. and FHA, VA loans and bond loans and jumbo loans. So, you know, it's too, it's all happened here within the last month or so. I mean, it's too right. new for a lot of analytics to be run on, on this. But for right now, I have not heard of anybody who's trying to sell the servicing rights for non-QM to a great degree. I mean, there's right. the normal ebb and flow of stuff. I don't think anybody's trying to create some kind of fire sale environment. Right. So the follow-up then is GSE, government agency loans. Is there a chance that those seize up as well, or is that not really a, a high likelihood because of the government guarantee? I, I think the likelihood is very, very, very low. Okay. Very low. And so we will still have... Okay, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I don't see that seizing up at all. The the question that a lot of people are asking out there right now is, you know, we will we will recover, mm-hmm. and is this going to be a, a you know a U shaped recovery or is right. it going to be V-shaped. a V shaped recovery? Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think that it's going to be a V shaped recovery. It it hasn't been the long drawn out two thousand six seven eight nine ten situation. Mm-hmm. I would argue that buyers who wanted to buy a you know wanted to buy a home in December or January and February who didn't get to buy a house when this when this is over with they'll still want to buy a two or three or four hundred thousand dollar house you know I still want to go out to a restaurant I still want to have my house clean I still right. want to get you know my wife wants to get her nails done I mean I think that it'll bounce back relatively quickly I like to think that uh, let me let me ask you a uh, question uh, Rob what if 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 you're talking about on average, about 5.5 million homes are sold in the U.S. every year. What would be your prediction on the number of transactions? I, this might be a crazy ask, but I, yeah, be- I'm not. I'm not qualified. I'm not gonna. I wouldn't even know how to how to make a guess. Yeah. That it yeah. comes back to, you know, kind of a U-shaped thing or a V-shaped thing. And, and frankly, I've been asking people, you know, especially people with kids, at what point? I mean, it's not like the lifeguard blows the whistle and everybody back in the water. At what point though, do we all go back in the water? At what point do we say it's safe to go to a restaurant again and, right. and you know, hold a menu and sit and sit, sit there at a table. And at what point is it safe to shake somebody's hand? I mean, that's some huge uncertainties that are out there now. And I think those will, you know, air travel, at what point will people start feeling comfortable to do that? And I think when whoever the experts are come out and say, okay, this, this has happened or we have a, you know, inoculation or, or some, something. I, I don't know. I don't know. Right. But yeah, so, with regard to sales, I, I don't have a clue. So let me ask you about the parts where you are expert. All right. So we know that these are the problems. What has to be done to not make things worse? Well, that's a very good question. So right now, the lending industry is, is looking at itself saying, all right, Non-QM lending has come to an end for now. Mm-hmm. It'll come back. Right. Jumbo lending has come to an end for now. It'll come back as well. People who want to buy houses can buy houses. And then you get into the question about, gee, is the county recorder's office open? Or is, mm-hmm. you know, how are they going to sign their documents? But that aside, and I think your listeners are probably better at understanding that than I am. But yeah. Given if, if somebody wants to transact, if somebody wants to buy a house, somebody wants to borrow, they can do that. A lot of lenders right now are doing a lot of refinances, mm-hmm. uh, refinancing the, the loans that have been put on the books in previous years, which are down relatively low. Not as low as, not the lowest they've been, but they're relatively low. So a lot of companies are very, have full pipelines of loans of people refinancing. So I don't think anything is quite broken now. Lenders are still lending. Borrowers are still borrowing. Refinances are being done. I think March uh, shaped up to be a very, very good month for a lot of lenders because of the refinances. And I think right now, unless something, unless somebody, I think from a residential lending perspective, I think we're in pretty good shape right now. We've seen a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. In recent uh, recent weeks, a lot of underwriting guidelines have changed. You know, minimum FICO scores for FHA and VA loans have gone up because lenders want a better credit risk for those borrowers because they might have to be the one making the payments at some point. So they want mm-hmm. better credit borrowers. But I think for the most part, you know, if somebody comes in and needs a loan, it's you know some eighty percent loan to value loan on a two hundred thousand dollar property and you know, Des Moines, I, th- I don't see a problem with getting a loan right now, as long as they have a job, as long as they have the ability to repay. But if you're a servicer, would you want to bid on that loan from Des Moines? Since the borrower, uh, under the current forbearance rules, it seems like they could just say, great, I'm in the house, I don't have to pay for a year. You know, I think uh, I think that, that some companies and some people will come out of this having made some very wise financial moves. Okay. <laughs> Does that make any sense? I, no, I what think do you that, mean? Well, 
it's like, oh, you know, when, when you go to a cocktail party, is it, yeah. you know, it's a nice house and you're talking to the host and the host says, oh, yeah, I bought this house in, you know, 2012 at the bottom of the market. Right. Well, I mean, there, there, there is a bottom. Right. I think we will rebound. Right. I think that servicing will be worth more in the future. I think that, you know, property values and, and I haven't heard of property values really taking a dive. It's almost like everyone's taking a timeout. And when this thing resolves itself, things will, things will get back to normal. I don't, I don't see a deteriorating property market like we saw in, you know, 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's a question that happening. Rob and I argue on. I mean, yeah. I've heard some people saying that, Oh yeah, prices are going to go down 20%. I'm like, how is that even possible? I mean, it's still a supply well, demand problem. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't think yeah. that at all. I, I actually think it's really possible though in certain pockets, right? I mean, it sounds to me like luxury is just oh, going to yeah. get Santa hammered. Santa Clara Valley, San, yeah. San Francisco, yeah, yeah, played in Manhattan. Some of some yeah. of those, some of those places that were arguably inflated heading into this, I think, are are due for a correction. But you know, some like I said, Des Moines. You know, I just yeah, don't exactly. see you know, yeah some of the I, I, people still need a home. They yeah. still want a roof over their heads. Yeah. But if there's no jumbo, yeah, if there's no jumbo financing out there, then, you know, how many people can afford to pay, you know, $9 million in cash, right? True. Anybody that could pay $9 million in cash could be like, I'll give you five, right? Because <laughs> what, what's your choice if you well, have to maybe. sell that house, you know? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, to your point, anything that's conforming, I feel like is going to be fine. I guess as long as the government guarantee is good and there's investor appetite for agency uh, loans. My biggest concern was really around the servicers because, you know, like I said, with uh, forbearance uh, rules in place, I, I guess it sort of really raised the question of, okay, well, how, how do I make money if, you know, if these people don't have to pay? And then the whole question to your point, you guys are the analysis to say, okay, how many people would take advantage of that? And how many people would just keep paying even though they don't have to in theory? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge financial question mark out there. It's all, it's all, and I think the government stepped in as quickly as it did mm-hmm. based on the playbook that was created in 2008, 2009. Right. We didn't want, they didn't want to go through that again. They, they stepped in and they said, okay, you know, we're here. Everybody yeah. settle down. Right. Yeah. This is a health crisis. It's being caused by a health situation. It's not being caused by, you know, the financial markets. It's not being caused by, you know, a high tech bubble is being caused by economic worldwide shutdown. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some point that'll come back. It's but, not, no. you know, I just don't, I, no, I you're right. the, the effects are not long lasting. You're right, Rob. I mean, I guess what I'm now that I've, I'm here, I've heard you, I guess what I'm sort of where my head is at is it almost would have been better if the government, instead of doing, you don't have to pay your mortgage for a year. If instead they had said, we will pay your mortgage for you. So you don't put the services yeah. in the position that they're in, you know, where they have to keep forwarding the payments onto the investors. But, you know, when do they get reimbursed? Like it almost would have been better if the government simply said, if you are, if you are unemployed because of, of uh, coronavirus, we're going to make your mortgage payments for you. Right. So at yeah, least the servicers. Just, but the scale of that, Rob, is crazy. Understood. But I mean, I'm just saying, right, because then we don't. Then we we still, don't yeah. Yeah, if Bernie Bernie Sanders had been president, yeah, you know maybe yeah. something like that would have. Well, we don't get too political. Yeah, who knows? Okay. All right, yeah. that's beyond beyond my pay grade uh, for sure. <laughs> uh, all right, so this has been great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know it's really abstract. I know it's pretty kind of detailed and in there, but like I said, I mean, I think for our listeners, Greg, you know, it's brokers and agents. They're out there. They're showing buyers yeah. houses. They're you know they're just trying to do what they can with the limitations that we have. And I just felt like a lot of them are simply not aware of what's going on with the lending industry, what's going on with, uh, yeah. with mortgages and just how dicey things are right now and just how unknown and uncertain. Um, yeah. you know, and, uh, this, has been, this has been great, Rob. I really appreciate you yeah. uh, joining us on this. And uh, I, I've certainly learned a lot. And um, I'm hoping that maybe, you know, can, can you leave us on a, like with an up note kind of thing? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there is a lot of positives out there. There are there are uh, 
at the, at the time we're, we're doing this right now, I mean, there are some positives out there with regard to some of the diseased areas and, you know, the, the numbers that appear. But in terms of, of real estate and lending, uh, I think it's important for people to remember that, that as I said earlier, people, they need a house where they need a roof over their heads. Mm-hmm. The people who wanted to buy a home a couple months ago will still want to buy a home. They still want their kids in a good school district. The lending industry itself is not broken. It's tweaked a little bit temporarily, and I think the tweaks will come back. Uh, there's no problem at all with, with government-backed mortgages right now. The biggest problem is the lenders have is is getting you know the refinances done that are in their pipeline, mm-hmm. um, and there's yeah. still a lot of that going on. So the lending system is not broken. I hope that at some point, you know, the you know being a realtor, a real estate agent, being able to show a house, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. comes back. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, that'll be a very good sign, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good right now. There've been a lot of changes, a lot of corrections, but, but lenders keep lending. And uh, I think that's a huge positive. That is a huge positive. All right. Well, once again, let me say thank you. And you know, it's because you mentioned it earlier, Rob, uh, that you do a daily newsletter, I guess, a daily report of some sort. I do. Yeah. Uh, it's free. And there's a there's always a joke, so I guess uh, people <laughs> like it because of that. But yeah, if somebody wanted to sign up, it would just be www.robchrisman.com. R O B and then C H R I S M A N. So www.robchrisman.com, and it takes about sixty seconds to sign up. Wonderful. And uh, talking about mortgages and finances every day. I think I'm going to have to go sign up and I I would encourage any of the listeners who are more interested in the sort of the mortgage financing lending world, because like I said, I mean, the real estate world is just so, so tightly connected to the mortgage. I mean, we all know this and yet, you know, I feel like there are times when we don't really pay a whole lot of attention to what's going on there. I think it would be great to go sign up for the newsletter. Uh, With that, let me say thank you once again, Rob. It was a real pleasure. And uh, Greg, I'm not, uh, that wasn't that scary, right? No, no. I mean, you know, education is a good thing. And and thank you so much for joining us, Rob. We we totally appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You bet. I don't know. Like, I feel better about it. I think the fact that he's saying lending's not broken, uh, this is not going to break it. You know, obviously we have disruptions, but same thing with real estate brokerage. You know, it's not broken. We're going to have some disruptions. um, And we'll see where it goes. But yeah, it's... Like I said, the stuff that I've been reading up to the up till talking to Rob has been really just kind of frightening. You know, the idea that servicing, you know, margin calls, the bond market's not functioning, and all of that. So it's really good to get that reassurance. Yeah, and, and 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 as we go through this, I mean, I forget who said this, but I love this. It's like the things you learn and what we're learning through this experience. And and I think that the quote was, "Experience is just a name we give to call our mistakes." Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure if this is all mistakes really, but, you know, some of them probably in hindsight, we could have done, we could have done things differently, but um, mm-hmm. it's just going to make us stronger. I mean, I think we all learn more from failures than we do from successes for sure. And there's definitely a lot we're learning now. Yeah. So from, the, from the positive side of things, I think, um, you know, like, like he was saying, it's like, I think we learned to jump in quicker, but mm-hmm. then, in this case, it sounds like in some cases we jumped in a bit too quick and a bit too eager. I think we jumped in a bit too quick. Yeah, a bit too eager. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking yeah. about like, I mean, there is no way we, we should have reacted much quicker to this being a threat as far as a health threat. But once they did decide to do it, because that didn't happen quick enough at all, that, you know, on the, on the financial side, um, mm-hmm. it was a smart thing. You know, the, the, the issue, like I said, is, I, and again, I'm not blaming anybody because could you just imagine like, you know, being the policymakers and all of the stuff that's coming at you, you know, every 10 minutes. But I do feel like they didn't think about what the forbearance does to servicing. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's something hopefully they can correct like sooner rather than later. I mean, maybe it's something as simple as saying, you know what, we're not going to wait. We're not going to reimburse you. We'll just pay it on your behalf. You know, because if I'm a servicing company, I'd be really freaking nervous about, you know, drawing down my cash and then sitting there waiting for, you know, the, for the U.S. government to reimburse me, right? This is, might seem like an outside-the-box analogy, but it's like there's a term in um, software, especially Apple software, they got Sherlocked. Okay. And what that means is that there was a, an app 
you know, you could have like an application that you built and you sell in the app store. Right. And then basically Apple makes it part of the OS. Okay. Right? And the very first thing that that happened, there was a, there was an app that, that Apple came up called Sherlock. And I think it was some sort of search thing. Okay. There was like a pretty good search app in the app store, or, you know, available in the market at that point. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And then when Apple <laughs> announced that they, it was built into the system, it basically put, it took that, that, that company out of business. Right, right. There's been very several examples of features that have been incorporated in the MLS or not right. MLS, but the OS of the computers that that basically render these third-party solutions. You know. Oh yeah. Move. No, I, I, Amazon's yeah. been doing that with Amazon Web Services yeah, for a yeah, while exactly, now. Yeah. So well, yeah, yeah or, or Amazon products, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So so there's that. All right. I think we went quite long. Uh, hopefully, you and I could uh, do another one this week sometime and yeah, talk absolutely. about long term because I know that's a topic. But if anybody made it to this point and you have something you want Greg and I to discuss, we would love to hear from you because uh, we're all locked in our houses. So... <laughs> 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 all right, all right man. man. Will you stay safe, bro? You too, brother. All right, all thanks, right. everybody. Bye.